0: Welcome to the Grace of God Summercast, where we embark on a journey to explore the timeless wisdom of Scripture and its profound relevance to our lives today. I'm Scott Peer, the media director here at Grace of God, and I'd like to introduce you into the message provided by our pastor, Timothy Walsh, where he bears the question at the very core of our faith. How should I make use of my gifts from God? In today's episode, we focus on Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, a parable that teaches the importance of using the gifts and resources that God has given us wisely and productively. It encourages believers to be faithful stewards of what they have to invest in the kingdom of God and to use their abilities for His purposes. It also emphasizes the idea that those who are faithful in small things will be entrusted with greater responsibilities, while those who are negligent may lose what they have. Join me as we uncover the profound truths within Scripture and reflect on the navigated challenges within our own lives.
1: Who do you think God is? You know me, you know my preaching, you know I usually start off a little differently in sermon. Grace and peace to you from God our Father through Lord Jesus Christ. Peace to you in Jesus' name. Uh, Something like that. But this text has us consider whether we believe those things to be true. Whether we believe that indeed God is someone who offers us peace through his son Jesus. Whether we believe indeed that God is one who is gracious and merciful toward us on the basis of Jesus and Jesus alone, whether we have a, a different conviction about God, a different thought about God, whether we think he's someone different than that. Who do you think God is? Jesus tells this parable and this is one where he doesn't give us the, the particular explanation, right? Sometimes he will in his parables. The, the master represents this, the servant represents this, the bag of gold represents this, right? He doesn't explain the parable. The point, the points of comparison are still fairly clear, though. You've got this master, it's God. You've got these servants, believers, Christians. You've got these bags of gold, the gifts that God gives us to use in life. And the fundamental Uh, axis on which this parable turns is, what do these servants think about their master? It's not really so much about what do they do. This parable finds itself grounded in what do the servants think about their master? You've got these first two men. They think identically of their master. They know that he's an astute judge of character. Jesus says that that's why you've got different amounts being given to each one, right? Each is entrusted with an amount, he says, commensurate to their ability, to one, the five, bags of gold to another, the two bags of gold to the last one. One, each, Jesus says, according to their ability. Jesus tells a similar parable, not the same parable, but a very similar one to this in Luke chapter 19. And I want to chase out the two different parables that he tells. In that story, rather than the money sort of being given out according to judged ability, I'm going to give you five, two, one. Jesus tells the story there about 10 servants being given each the same amount of money when their master departs on a journey. And ten of the servants in that story, or the ten servants in that story, nine of them, put their money to work. And they come back with different returns. So they all get the same amount, but each one puts it to work differently and produces something different except for the last one. That's where these two parables are similar. In that parable, Jesus talks again about a servant who is afraid of his master and goes, buries this money that he's received in the ground. Both parables are told very close in time to Je- in Jesus' ministry. In fact, probably only a couple of days apart. Luke, told slightly before the events of Holy Week. This parable, during the events of Holy Week. Understanding that timeline, we see Jesus' point made pretty clear. He's about to leave. He's about to leave his disciples. And whenever it is that he's not with his people, right? whether it was the three days that he spent in his grave, whether it's the time now as we await for his return, Jesus expects us to put to use the gifts that he gives us. When he tells the story in Luke 19, he means for us to see that fundamentally we've all been given the same gifts. We've all been given the gospel. We've been given life. We've been given relationship with people in our church, in our communities, the same gifts. Put them to work. And in Luke 19, the various servants come back with different results. They're all rewarded. Here, Jesus points out that We may look at ourselves and come to a slightly different conclusion, right? I've got a different set of gifts, a different amount of gifts perhaps than someone else. Regardless, whether you see yourself as having the same gifts as everyone else, whether you think that God's maybe given you less gifts than he's given to someone else as the one man gets in this parable, point is the same regardless. God expects his servants to put the gifts he gives them to work. But both parables also underscore this point. What those servants will do, how they're going to put that money to work, depends on who they think their master is. The last of the servants in both stories think that the master is a, a hard man is the word that we got there. The Greek word used there, it's a very picturesque word, sclerosts. In English, we've got this word sclerotic. Maybe if you've um, been diagnosed with something, ar- arteriosclerosis is a uh, an English term that comes out of it sclerosis is a a health related word a medical word referring to the hardening of things arteriosclerosis the hardening of arteries when plaque builds up in the arteries they become rigid and inflexible and the blood can't pass through and it can clot it's life threatening it can lead to all kinds of different health issues because of the, the rigidity and the inflexibility that's who this first this last servant calls his master you're a you're a hard man you're a sclerotic man you're you're choked up you're Unkind. That's what he tells his master. This is never a positive word in the Bible. Never is this word hard something positive. It's always it's a word that refers to generally an attitude of stubbornness. So, for instance, it's the word that uh, is used when when speaking of someone who hardens their heart against God. They cause their heart to become sclerotic. Or when the deacon Stephen is speaking against the Sanhedrin, who is raging against the gospel, he says that they have sclerotic necks, stiff necks. Servant goes even further, right? As if this weren't even, as as if that weren't enough of an insult to throw at his master. He says that his rigid, severe, unyielding master is also a fraud, right? You take what you didn't work for, he says. He's accusing the master of laziness. To understand correctly what he's saying there too, when he says, you harvest where you didn't sow, he's not saying you go into other people's fields and harvest it. He's just pointing out You don't get out in those fields. You're not the one scattering the seed. You've got people doing it, and you're going to profit from their labor, right? He thinks it's unjust that the master profits from the labor done by others. All of this is unfair. All this is nonsense. And so, rightly, the master erupts. You wicked, lazy servant, he says to him. If the servant's going to accuse his master of laziness, is just going to throw it right back at him, right? If I were really lazy, surely I would have been satisfied with the interest this would have earned at the bank, right? A truly lazy master doesn't care whether his servant really goes to hard work. He just wants to see something done with the money. Throw it at the bank. But that's not truly the master's character. And the servant knew that. The servant knew that his master was not a lazy man. In fact, near as we can tell, he was very clearly engaged in some quite profitable commerce, when he was off on this journey, because when he returns, he's able to promise his faithful servants even greater wealth to manage than they were already managing. It might not sound like a whole lot of money, these bags of gold, but these are vast sums, and we can talk about that a little bit. The word translated bag of gold here in Greek is talent, talenton. It refers to, we've talked about this in some other parables of Jesus, an amount of money more or less equal to what a, a, an average blue-collar laborer of the time would make in 20 years. So when you think about five talents, five bags of gold, it's a hundred years' pay for the average blue-collar worker. Even, even the man receiving two, even the man receiving one, is managing perhaps hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the master comes back and says that that was faithfulness in a few things working with those sums of money and that he's going to put them in charge of many things. What kind of unfathomable wealth must this master have right, that he can promise such great things to those faithful servants? But not to that last servant. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For if whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The servant considered his master a harsh man. So he thought what he was doing was going to be the safe option, the no-risk option. But the master had not given him this money not to risk it. If the master wanted to ferry to the ground, he could get a shovel himself. It was to be used. The inaction of the servant defied the will of the master. And that kind of defiance is met with the very harshness he had hoped to avoid. What was the difference for those other servants? All right, why did they act differently? Why did they do something different? Simply put, they recognized the will of the master, what he wanted. He had given them this money to put it to work. So we read that they, at once, is the word that gets used here, went out and invested it. There was no question for them about what they should or shouldn't do with the master's money. At once, we're out, we're working with it. Why? Because our master entrusted us to put his wealth to work. And moreover, they knew that he knew that, right? They knew that they were being given opportunities tailored to their particular gifts and abilities. He gave one the five bags. He gave one the two bags. They knew that their master knew them. They knew that he was not a lazy, one-size-fits-all, all absentee landlord. He knew them. He had put work before them that they could accomplish. He knew that to be true. He trusted them. They trusted him. The third man didn't trust his master. right? The master invited him to trust him. right? The master gave him opportunity. The master gave him access. The master gave him power. The master gave him literal bags of gold to go invest. The servant still didn't trust him. He still regarded him as harsh and unfair. And that perception is what led him to his refusal to carry out his master's will. What Jesus tells us through this parable is that we can get an accurate look inside our hearts. We can see who we really think God is by asking how we use what he's given us. I mentioned that the Greek word here for bag of gold is talent, talenton, refers to this amount, uh, 20 years salary. Why do we have this English word talent? Have you ever thought about that? The English word talent literally only exists because of this story because of this particular parable it's another way that christianity has irreversibly shaped our world we would not have this word in english talent meaning one's particular skills abilities without this story that jesus tells why because those are the talents talenton the bags of gold that god gives to us to manage in our lives right what he gives our time our yeah gifts abilities our actual what we call talents, our treasures, right, our own money. Everything that we have is a gift entrusted to us by God to be managed. So we can take sort of a big lesson out of this parable, right, and that would be easy to kind of say we're all done. Big lesson. Use the gifts you've been given, okay? Sure. But we could have learned that story, or we could have learned that lesson if this story were a little different. That lesson doesn't need the third servant. Jesus could have told the story about a man who went off on a trip and gave his servants five bags of gold, two bags of gold, one bag of gold, and comes back, and they've all produced. Five more bags, two more bags, one more bag. And that would have been a story about use the gifts God has given you. The third servant gives this parable its point. The third servant gives this parable its point by making us ask not just what do I do with the gifts God has given me, but who do I think God is. If we view God as his servant viewed his master, as harsh and demanding and lazy, then we're going to set low bars for our management of his gifts to us. And you know what? We're going to expect him to be satisfied with that. We tell ourselves that so long as we aren't regularly engaged in obvious sin, it's all okay. As long as I'm not watching porn, as long as I'm not cheating on my spouse, as long as I'm not gambling, as long as I'm not on drugs, I'm fine. What more will you expect of me, God? We can do that kind of in our relationship to our church, right? We can say, well, as long as I'm sort of more involved than somebody else, set the bar down there, God, I'm fine. What more can be asked of me? Pastors can do this very easily by telling ourselves, you know what, so long as I can get up here on Sunday and I've got something non-heretical to say every week, what more can you ask of me, God? Set the bar down there pretty low. It's pretty easy to not offer up something heretical on Sunday morning, to be clear. This parable reminds us the Christian life is not summed up by the avoidance of obvious sin. This gift, all the gifts that God has given us are not meant to be buried in the ground, dug up when he returns and presented to him as if we had done something worthwhile and praiseworthy by sitting sitting around and doing absolutely nothing, right? Jesus' last command before his death was not, don't sin, it was love one another. Love requires risk. Love requires action. And to carry out that command which has been handed down to us by our Lord, we have to take risks. We have to actively be involved in the lives of other people, which is sometimes messy and hard and not always fun. And you will not do it if you are terrified of a sclerotic and vengeful God. You want love? How could you? Safer to bury your money in the ground? So if you're thinking about your own life through the lens of this parable, right, as it leads me to think about my own, and you're looking at an area where you've sort of told yourself, God can't expect more of me than this bar I've set down there. I understand two things on the basis of this parable. One, God does expect way more of all of us than we'd like him to. And secondly, he has gifted us far, far, far more than we could have ever Asked or imagined God's bar for us Is not set down here In any area of our lives It's up in the clouds It's perfection That's what God Demands of us That's what God Requires from us That's the only thing That will satisfy him Is perfection And what God has done In his son Jesus Has been to Mercifully Graciously Gloriously Gift you With A record of Perfection the perfection of Jesus. That gift was given to you outside of anything you had done, outside of any work you had done, low bar, high bar, wherever you want to set it to earn it. As Paul says in Romans, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is to say, before you even had the opportunity to set yourself a low bar, a high bar, to do anything that was going to try and reconcile yourself to God, God had offered up Jesus that you might be reconciled to that's who God is. He's not sclerotic, he's not unkind, he's not lazy. he's he's gracious. he's good. He's generous, eager to reconcile generous to a fault even, right He's willing to do what we so often are unwilling to do. He's willing to run risk. He's willing to allow for the possibility of financial ruin in the in the gifts that he's given us, right He's given you hands. Will you use them to make a meal for someone or strike them? He's given you a mouth. Will you use it to, to, to bless? And to show love, will you use it to, to curse? God's willing to run those risks. God is willing to give us gifts and let us see what we will do with them. He's so willing to run risks, in fact, that he was willing to send his son, Jesus, into our world into our hands and let us do with him what we wish. You guys know what we did when we got Jesus in our hands, right? It was that. But that event, the cross, showed that God is not actually... Everything I said about God being willing to run risks... Well, what that showed is that I'm off base, frankly, because God doesn't run risks. There was no risk that God was going to come out on the losing end of that investment. The resurrection proved it. As Jesus told his disciples before his death, I've got the authority to lay my life down and to pick it up again. There was no risk involved. And here, 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 here then is the crucial thing, the thing that's sort of missing from this parable, right? Jesus can't ever in one parable wrap up all of the Bible's truth. And here's the thing that we need to bring into the picture to round out what he tells us in this parable. God is always responsible for the increase as we use the gifts he's given us. It's never reliant on us. God's not running a risk when he gives us the gifts that he gives us. The opportunities that God sets before you, he knows are appropriate for you. If he sets before you five bags, two bags, one bag, know that he knows you. He knows you. He washed you in these waters. He washed you like we wash a baby in the bathtub. He feeds you at his table. He speaks to you. He lives in your heart. He knows you. The opportunities that he sets before you, are tailored to you, are for you, and you in particular. They're places where you can use the gifts that he has given you. The first two servants showed that they understood this about their master as they went out, again that word, at once, and they put their gifts to work. We also show what we think about our master as we put our gifts to work. We show that we think that he's generous and gracious and and kind and knows us as we put them to faithful work, we show that we think he's sclerotic and vengeful and a jerk as we bury them in the ground. Every one of us can see both of those attitudes in our lives, can't we, right? Maybe we consider our roles as employees, right, on the one hand, and what we see there is faithful, hard work, but then maybe we look at our role in our families, right, as, as spouses, as parents, as children, And we see ourselves setting a fairly low bar and challenging God to be happy with that. And maybe for you in particular, it's the reverse, right? Or you can look at some other area of your life. I don't particularly care. It doesn't matter. Here's what does matter. When you walk out that door later today, or maybe the downstairs door, or even the side door, or that door, I don't care. Walk out any door. You're still going to be breathing. God is continuing to entrust you. With the gift of life, which is a gift you could misuse, which is a gift you could use to do something that that would hurt, that would harm, that would be sin. He's still entrusting you with it. You're going to go home and you're going to be in a family. You're going to have a a job. You're going to have relationships in the community. You're going to have time. You're going to have money. You're going to have all these things that he entrusts to you to manage. He's not taking them away from you. He continues to trust you. Generous to a fault. That's who our God is. This parable tells us to to think about these things on two time frames. One, clearly it's about the end of the world, that there will come a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return on the clouds with his angels, as Paul talked about in our reading from Thessalonians. And he'll call us before him, and we'll have the opportunity to present to him the increase that has yielded as we've used the gifts he's given us. And he says what he'll say to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Sit down at the table of which this supper is a mere foretaste. I'm going to my happiness. This parable speaks about that, about the end, end, end. It also speaks to us about daily life. That as we use the gifts Christ has given us in day-to-day life, we find ourselves managing more and more gifts. We do. But that also is something we find in our lives. As we neglect or misuse the gifts God has given us, we can often find themselves taken or find them taken away from us. My only counsel to you in that if you find something at being taken from you by your Lord, understand that you are not the servant in the parable who has one bag of gold that's going to get taken away from him. I know all of you. You have all been entrusted with far, far, far more than one bag of gold to work with, one thing that, when taken away from you, would be the end. Your life is full of opportunities to use other gifts that Christ has given you. If if something, if something should be taken away from you by your Lord, have the attitude of Job. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised.
0: Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Grace of God SermonCast. We hope you found inspiration and encouragement through our discussions and messages. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or would like to learn more about Grace of God Lutheran Church located in Dix Hills please visit our website at graceofgod.church. Remember, you're always welcome to join us in person for our services at 510 Deer Park Avenue, located in Dix Hills, New York. Until then, may you experience the love and grace of our Lord throughout your week. Thank you again for tuning in. God bless you and see you next week.